Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family Radio. Thank you for joining us today. The title of today's show is a question. What time is it? I've been trying to alert people to the peculiar times we've been living in for over a dozen years. Unfortunately, my message is only met with modest success, but I'm hoping today that there will be ears to hear. During the first few years of our new century, we came to the realization, at least most of us, that we lost the cultural wars, that our culture has, in fact, collapsed. If you want to pin a date on it, I can't think of a better one than June 26th in the year 2015, when the highest court of the great nation of the United States declared homosexual marriage as part of the law of the land. In 2002, again, since this new millennium and new century began, we were shocked and driven to tears over the Boston scandal of clergy sex abuse and clergy homosexual abuse that was occurring throughout the country. And perhaps even worse and more disheartening was the cover-up of these sins which cry to heaven by bishops, archbishops, and even cardinals. Now we're at 2018, and we are revisited, which with much more of the same that we encountered in 2002, and now we know that it's not just a United States problem, it's a worldwide plague. A lot of folks are really upset, and I can understand why parents and grandparents would be doubly upset because you really have a stake, not only in the present, but in the future through your children and grandchildren. So you're asking the questions and questions are being asked all across the internet and Catholic media and blogs and private conversations. What's to be done? And more specifically, what should parents do? I am going to be answering the question, what should parents do? in the next episode, but I think there's a more primary question that has to be asked, and that is, what time is it? And if we get a proper answer to the time question, it will give insight into why are such things occurring today? What can we expect in the future, and how are we to respond? But if you want a proper answer to the what should be done question, you first have to determine what time is it. And there seems to be a fairly widespread neglect of this question. Let me give you two scriptures that start the conversation for what time is it. And it's two scriptures you probably haven't been rattled much by or thought much of, but both are from Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, first from chapter 25 and verse 7, and it says this, and he will destroy on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over 
all nations. Hmm. This is talking about the Messiah, and he's going to destroy a covering that's over all the world's peoples. In fact, there's, there's a veil that's been spread over the nations. What's this? And here's the second Isaiah scripture to go right along with 25.7. This one is from chapter 9 and verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. Now, what's this talking about? It's you know, it's not like a power outage. They're sitting in deep darkness. What is the deep darkness that's covering all the nations? And this is actually a rather important scripture from Isaiah 9 and verse 2 because it's repeated shortly after we meet Jesus in the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 16. It repeats it. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. For those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. Now, what in the world is this talking about? Again, this is just kind of like nice things we hear at Christmas time. These are nice things sung in hymns. But have we ever pondered what in the world is this talking about? What's the covering that's over all the nations? What's the veil, so to speak? What is it hiding? What is the darkness? Well, if God is light... And if there's a covering or if there's a veil between the nations and God, that means the nations are living in darkness. Jesus came to penetrate that covering to destroy the veil that was blinding people to the truth of God. And we're talking about the nations of the world because the nation Israel was supposed to be that light to the nations. And in fact, rather than being a light to the nations, the darkness of the nations even invaded them. And so the Messiah himself came to bring light to the world. You know, the Great Commission wouldn't have been effective. Jesus says, go out into all the world and make disciples. It would fall flat on its face unless this has been destroyed first. That covering that's cast over all peoples, the veil that's spread over all nations, the darkness, the deep darkness that had invaded all of the world is now destroyed with the one who said, I am the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Now, in Scripture, it's rather clearly predicted that there is going to be a brief time of reversal. In other words, the grand history, if you map this out, is that for centuries, the nations of the world were living in deep darkness, deceived and blinded from the truth of God who is light. But towards the end of human history, there's going to be a predicted time, fairly short time, of a reversal where we are going to go from the nations living in the light of Christ to darkness. One of two places in the book of Revelation that talks about this is Revelation chapter 9, and it starts like this. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star falling from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the 
bottomless pit. And he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Now, again, this is pictorial, figurative language, but what is it trying to say? Uh, Pollution from smokestacks? No. It's talking about the same thing that Isaiah was talking about, that that Satan is going to be loosed with his minions, and they are going to open the shaft of the bottomless pit, and their effect is to bring darkness back to the planet. Now, the book of Revelation is not a simple chronological book. Those who try to read it like that come up with all kinds of really crazy interpretations. But we read more about this bottomless pit that Revelation 9 is talking about in Revelation 20. And by the way, towards the end of this broadcast, I'm going to offer you a way to get a free PDF handout of these scriptures so that you could see them yourself. So you can concentrate on listening right now. I want you to actually have these scriptures before your eyes and and ponder them. But let's go to Revelation 20. Revelation 20 says, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, and in his hand the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And the church, particularly since St. Augustine, has understood those thousand years simply to be the age of the church. Verse 3 of Revelation 20, and he threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him that, and this is a purpose clause, for the purpose that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be loosed for a little while. Okay. Let me take you back to Greek class, and this is really easy. You go to Greek class, you learn the alphabet, and then you learn how to decline the verb luo, which is mean to loose, which is right here in Revelation 20. And the antonym, the opposite of to loose, is to bind. Deo, luo, deo. And, you know, <laughs> this, is, this is Greek 101. What's going on here? It says... Okay, the coming of, with the coming of Christ, he seized the dragon and bound him for a thousand years, the, almost the entirety of the age of the church, and put him into the bottomless pit. And in Revelation 9, we find them coming out of the bottomless pit, but he's bound. And it doesn't say that Satan can't do anything But it says this very particularly. It says, for the purpose that he should deceive the nations no more. In other words, Satan is bound from his ability to create worldwide darkness that he did before the coming of Christ. Before Christ came, the nations were in a deep darkness. When you cut off the ability to perceive God, to know the truth about God, 
everything falls apart. And what happened with the first coming of Christ, Satan was bound, so they couldn't deceive. And it says, till the thousand years were ended, after that he must be loosed, which is just the opposite of bound. He should be loosed for a little while. Let's just put this in perspective. For a long time, Satan is going to be bound from deceiving the nations. As a result, what happens? The gospel of Christ goes to all the nations of the world. Christianity in the light of Christ spreads through the world. And that's a long time. It goes on for a long time. But it then says for a little while, towards the end, before the second coming of Christ, Satan is going to be loosed for just a little while, a little season. How long is that? I don't know. It's just in proportion. One's a long time. It's gone on for, you know, 2,000 years. The other one's a short time. We don't know exactly, but it's short in comparison to the long. What happens when he is loosed for a little while? That was Revelation 20 and verse 3. Well, we go to verse 7. And when the thousand years were ended, that's the church age, Satan will be loosed from his prison and he will come out to deceive the nations which are at the four corners of the earth, that is, to gather them for battle. In other words, towards the end of time, there is going to be a loosing where pagan darkness is again going to grip the nations. And by the way, I do a companion broadcast called Luke 21 Radio. We're going through the book of Revelation, and the book of Revelation was basically written for people going through times of darkness and how to resist it quite successfully, okay? You don't have to capitulate. This isn't fatalism at all, okay? But this is a warning that he will be loosed from his prison to come out and deceive. In other words, he'll do what he did before at the four corners of the earth, and it talks about he'll be able to gather the nations together and attack the camp of the saints. And basically, this is going to be an attack upon the, the true church. And surprise, surprise, at that final assault when Satan thinks he's going to extinguish the light from the world forever, guess who comes back? The light of the world. And he takes the devil who had deceived them and all those attacking the church. They're thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Just a P.S., only a false prophet will deny the eternity of hell's torments. It says it right here in Holy Scripture. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. They're not getting out. It's not going to stop. You know, this is utterly serious because towards the end, Satan is going to be able to do what he did before the first coming of Christ. He is going to be given the power to deceive, and he can't deceive anybody who doesn't want to be deceived. This is an act of the will. Now, I want to share with you the long form of the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel composed by Pope Leo XIII in 1888. 
The Holy Father had just celebrated Mass. The people around him thought perhaps he was having a heart attack. The blood drained from his face. And he was given a vision, something like what went on in the book of Job, where Satan asked permission to attack the church. He, he wants a time to have at the church. And the Holy Father went into his quarters and composed the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel. And we generally pray the short prayer. The long prayer should not be prayed by laity. It's an exorcism prayer. should only be uh, used by priests. But I'm just going to interpret, show you that Pope Leo XIII's prayer, you can outline it just like I gave you from Revelation 20. It's this, that cruel, that ancient serpent who is called the devil or or Satan, who seduces the whole world, that's deceives the whole world, was, past tense, cast into the abyss with his angels. That's Revelation 9, Revelation 20. And then he goes on. Behold, now, this primeval enemy and slayer of men, now, that's my emphasis, wanders about with all the multitude of wicked spirits invading the earth in order to blot out the name of God and of his Christ. In other words, he's on a crusade. He's out of the pit. He's been unchained. And it's by God's permission you go through certain times of testing. And this is to basically find out who's the wheat and the tares, uh, who are the sheep and the goats, the final shifting, so to speak. And so the prayer of Pope Leo XIII to St. Michael the Archangel is a prayer to end the little while, the little season of Revelation chapter 20 and verse 3. It says he must be loose for a little while. The prayer goes on, and beating down the dragon, the ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, do thou again make him captive in the abyss. That for the purpose that he may no longer seduce, that is, deceive the nations. Do you get this? One, two, three. One, the deceiver of the whole world, seducing of all the nations of the world, was cast into the abyss. Those who sat in darkness now can see the great light, and now we have the long period. Now behold, this primeval enemy is out of the abyss, wandering about the world with all the wicked spirits, what? Trying to blot out the name of God and of his Christ in the modern world. And so Pope Leo XIII's prayer is that then put this serpent, the devil, Satan, back into the abyss that he may no longer seduce the nations forever, ever, ever, and ever. Now, well, I haven't heard that lately. That's okay. You're hearing it, and you're going to get a free handout. By the way, you just send a request. Send me the what time is it handout at askthehost at gmail. It's that simple. Now, let me give you a quote that I think is rather startling from Anne Catherine Emmerich from her Dolores Passion of Our Lord Jesus Christ. For those of you who may have a copy of this book and the tan version, it's page 349. But again, this will be on your handout. And this is what she said, quote, in the center of hell, this is the abyss, that's the pit, I saw a dark and horrible-looking abyss, and into this Lucifer was cast, 
after first being strongly secured with chains. Thick clouds of sulfurous black smoke arose from its fearful depths and enveloped his frightful form. I was likewise told, if I remember rightly, that he will be unchained for a time, 50 or 60 years before the year of Christ 2000. But a certain number of demons are to be let loose much earlier than Lucifer in order to tempt men. I should think that some must be loosed even in the present day, and that present day for her was 1823, and others will be set free in a short time. Now, here's a quote that almost everybody's heard from Cardinal Wyatola, Pope John Paul II, when he was a cardinal. Everybody's heard it. Have you heard it? Have you heard this quote? Have you heard it? Have your ears truly heard what he said? We are now standing in the face of the greatest historical confrontation humanity has gone through. Now standing. I do not think that wide circles of American society or wide circles of the Christian community realize this fully. We are now facing the final confrontation between the church and the anti-church of the gospel versus the anti-gospel, November 9th, 1976. And then Cardinal Newman. And I must say that no one can know with any degree of absolute certainty when we are actually in the little season, the short while. Uh, but we can know how times would at least approximate this. And all I'm saying is that I just put my name next to Cardinal Newman, and I don't deserve to be put next to him, but his expression, I'm just going to read to you next, is exactly what I believe. It's what time it is from John Cardinal Newman, warning of apostasy. And apostasy comes from this loosing and darkening of all the nations of the world. I know that all times are perilous and that in every time, serious and anxious minds alive to the honor of God and the needs of man are apt to consider no time so perilous as their own. At all times, the enemy of souls assaults with fury the church. Still, I think that the trials which lie before us are such as would appall and make dizzy even such courageous hearts as St. Athanasius, St. Gregory I, St. Gregory VII. And they would confess that dark as the prospect of their own day was to them severally, ours has a darkness different in kind from any that has been before it. And here is a man who, this is my comment here, here is a man whose journey to the Catholic Church was a firsthand comprehensive study of the church fathers. Here is a man who knows what has gone on. 
And somebody's going to hear what I've just shared with you today and says, oh, well, you know, the church has gone through ups and downs before and come out. And that's absolutely true. The church has gone through some extremely serious ups and downs before and still come through. That's one of the glorious marks of the Catholic Church, that God is in her and preserving her. But when somebody whose expertise is in the fathers saying, and realize that uh, it's easy to think this is that dark time, but he says, ours has a darkness different in kind from any that has been before it. The special peril of the time before us is the spread of that plague of infidelity that the apostles of our Lord and the Lord himself have predicted as the worst calamity of the last times of the church. At least a shadow, a typical image of the last times is coming. Has the evil prerogative being like that more terrible season when it is said that the elect themselves may be in danger of falling away? He is talking to seminarians at their graduation. My brethren, you are coming into the world if the present appearances do not deceive, such as priests never came before. Your flocks may be in great danger as under the influence of the prevailing epidemic. And again, the epidemic, go right back to the prophet Isaiah, the veil, the covering, the deep darkness, and the person doing that work is going to be released during a little season, and mysteriously, the world seems to revert back to paganism. What's the cause? Was it a church council that some people didn't like? Was it um, uh, just the U.S. Supreme Court? Was it uh, whatever you blame everything? This is what the Scripture is pointing to as creating our time. We need to know what time it is. And Cardinal Newman goes on, as time goes on, there will be a crisis and a turning point. And many folks feel we may have actually come to that crisis turning point in the life of the church. And I would ask that you have the ears to hear perhaps a tough to hear message, but that we need to discern what's going on. And if we know what time it is, and if at least this time is like that time which is coming, we need to be prepared. Again, I have a free handout for the quotations, both from scriptures and church leaders that I've mentioned today. Just ask for the free handout of what time is it? Ask the host at gmail.com. You've been listening to episode 205 of Faith and Family. I'm your host, Steve Wood. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to order copies of Faith and Family broadcasts and to learn more about Catholic family life.